Amen. You may be seated. Great worship. Thank you, worship team. That is powerful. Who can stop the Lord God Almighty? That is so awesome. Well, we're probably going to be getting hungry soon, so I'll try not to be quite so long, but let me just take a half hour with you and talk to you here on our second session about how God deals with snakes or how God brings order to chaos. So, Father, we ask for uh, inspiration and power and authority to preach your word. Ask for ears to hear what you'd want to say today. In Jesus' name, amen. In uh, Genesis chapter 1, uh, the creation story, you know the, where it says, he, when he began to speak into creation, he took that which was, was not existent yet and made existence out of it. He took chaos, darkness, and disorder the Hebrew there is the word tohu and wahu, and those two words together are speaking of this abyss, this darkness, this chaos, this disorder. He, it wasn't just nothingness, although to a degree it was. It was, it was spoken of in the Hebrew as having a, a, a chaotic nature to it. It was, it was the, the abyssness of it, the, the, the darkness of it, the... Uh, chaos and disorder of this thing. And so God speaks into that chaos order. He speaks into darkness, light. And so God, when we speak about things we're talking about in the last session, when there's suffering and there's pain, it's not just he leaves it alone and says, oh, well, the world's a bad place, but that he's constantly at work bringing order to chaos, bringing light to darkness, bringing life to death, taking that which is not and speaking it into existence, taking the, 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 the Hebrew rabbis call this displacing the watery chaos, when when he when he spoke into creation, there was there was the there, there was the, the the waters above, and the, there was and he began to separate and make and order and put things into place. And every time he spoke, more came into order, less chaos, more order. Every time God speaks, every time you have a, a voice for God, you're bringing uh, order into places of chaos. When you simply take a message like I spoke this morning and say. Say la vive, que sera, sera, whatever will be, will be. And we don't see that as it, 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 it's, it's good to be honest and to assess the nature of reality as it is. But that doesn't mean we leave it that way. The power of a ministry is it never leaves things as they are. It speaks words into existence. And God began to speak into existence and he began to form order out of chaos, out of emptiness, out of void, out of darkness. It's it's considered the, the, the pre-creation spoken before the spoken word of God. It was the state of void preceding the creation of the universe. And there was a gap between the original separation of heaven and hell, or excuse me, heaven and earth. There was this gap and God begins to bring things into his spoken divine order. It's one of the things I learned from my father, from the smallest things of ministry to the largest vision you might have is doing things with what he called a divine order. And so one time we were in our, our office uh, in New York City at Times Square Church, and we were walking down the hall, and there was a small piece of paper in the hallway. And, and I started to bend to pick it up. He goes, no, don't pick it up. Come over here with me. And we walked to the other end of the hall, and he said, let's just watch. He said, I bet you everybody, I bet, I bet nobody who walks down this hallway will stop and pick up that paper. And we, we stood there about three or four minutes, and four or five people walked by, and no one stopped to pick up the piece of paper. And he said, that's just the way life is, that things that are left even though it's small, it's, it's not divine order. That piece of paper should have been picked up. That's a really small thing. But isn't it strange I remember that? 
that, that, that of all the stories I could have told you about my stories with my dad, is like I remember him saying, like, always pick up the piece of paper. It's, it's always the little thing. Just if you'll do the little thing of divine order, the big begins to fall into place. And not leaving things undone, not ignoring the, 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 the thing that should not be, not ignoring the chaos, not ignoring the five uh, battle, uh, the five warriors tribes in the land, not ignoring the snake in the garden. Whether it be something small or large, we're always constantly engaged in a battle to bring order to chaos. The, one of the rabbis teaching on this, Genesis 1, said God was wrestling with chaos in order to bring it to order. There, it wasn't just he was saying there's nothing there and let's have a little bit of light, let's have a little bit of, of water. There was this sense of him uh, being in a conflict, being in a battle, speaking things into existence with the fierceness of that warrior nature that God has. <clears throat> now, I'm going to take you a, 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 a long way to get to a good point, but, I'm gonna, but it's going to take a while to get to the point, so you're going to do what, what a lot of us do when you hear somebody speak and you go like, I have no idea what he's talking about. So for the next five minutes or more, you might not have any idea what I'm talking about, but remember the topic is bringing order out of chaos, of how God deals with the snake in the garden. But there's, there's, there's a long way around this. Turn with me, if you have your Bibles, to Job, Job chapter 41. And I want to read a passage of Scripture. This, this is God speaking to Job when Job questions him about the suffering that he was going through, about the battle that he was in, about the chaos that he was facing in his life without it, appearingly that God, without it appearing that God was bringing order to the chaos in his life. In other words, it was a sense of what Job was battling with was meaninglessness. Is there any meaning in my suffering? Uh, suffering is not good in itself. It only has its purpose when it brings meaning, when you wrestle meaning out of it, when, when, you, when there's, uh, there's something developed in your soul and your nature and your character because of the suffering. Suffering alone doesn't do anything good. It can cause you to be bitter. It can cause you to be angry at God. It can cause you to reject God. It can cause you to become an agnostic. And so suffering in itself is not a victory. It's how we handle the suffering. And so Job is, is beginning to wonder about... Uh, the purpose of suffering in his life. And God's response to him in Job chapter 41, I, I think is, is, is very creative and unique. He asks Job this question, can you draw out the Leviathan with a fish hook? The Levi Leviathan, uh, the, the Hebrew writer, early ancient Hebrews writers speak of the Leviathan in two, two ways, the, the behemoth and the Leviathan. The behemoth is mentioned in chapter 40 of the same book. The behemoth and the Leviathan, the, the rabbis of the ancient times said they were actually the same creature at one point, but then the, the Leviathan uh, went up on land and became like a dinosaur or a behemoth, a, a monster of the land. And so in a sense, you know, if we use some poetic license, you could say here, Job 40 speaks of, of the behemoth, a, 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 a monster on the land, and then the Leviathan, a monster in the sea. Pretty much God's saying, wherever you go, there's going to be monsters. Every garden you're in, there's going to be a snake. Every situation is going to be you having to wrestle with a problem. Not wanting problems in your life is not as effective as having problems in your life that you learn in a godly way, in a divine order, how to deal with those problems. So God could keep the towel from being up on the top of the stairs, but he has them there or allows them to be there to teach us his divine order, getting wrestling 
with chaos and bringing order to the situations in our life. So the behemoth is on, on the land, uh, the Leviathan's on the water. Everywhere you go, you're going to be faced with trials, tribulations, and troubles. And he says, can you draw out the Leviathan with a fish hook? In other words, can you just, you know, can, can, you, can you catch the Leviathan and, and end your problems? Is, is it possible just to, to go fishing one day and say, like, okay, that thing in my life that's causing me angst and trial, tribulation, and trouble, can I just pull it up out of the water and it be gone? He, he's about, or can you press down on his tongue with a cord? Can you put a rope in his nose or pierce his jaw with a hook? Will, you, will, you make, uh, will he make many pleas to you? Will he speak to you in soft words? He's speaking here of chaos. He's speaking here of darkness. He's speaking here of the five enemies in the land that we talked about in, in Judges chapter 3. He's speaking of the snake in the garden. Is the snake going to speak soft words to you? Is he going to bargain with you and say, you know, well, you know, you do have a lot of faith. Maybe I won't fight you. Or, or maybe, maybe just this, maybe, maybe I'm giving you, you know, maybe you're suffering too much, so I'll go away. So, so God is saying to Job, do you think the leviathans of life, the, the snakes, the dragons of life, are going to easily go away and speak softly to you? Or, in other words, what is your expectation of the world and the way it's, it's, it's uh, is designed in its fallen nature? Uh, verse 4, will he make a covenant with you and take him uh, to take him for your servant forever? Will you play with him as uh, with a bird, or will you put him in, on a leash with your girls? Will traders bargain over him? Will they divide him up among the merchants? Will you fill his skin with harpoons or his head with fishing spears? Lay your hands upon him. Remember the battle. You will not do it again. <laughs> I like that one. Man, that's, have you ever been in one of those before? Not going to do that one again. Um, I remember one time I was in San Francisco, and um, there was a, uh, someone who was uh, very flamboyant in their femininity, and, and, uh, and, and I got this sense of like, man, that's demonic, because he was confronting me. We were, I was sharing the gospel with him. He was confronting me, and, and I just put a hand on his shoulder. I said, come out in the name of Jesus, and he said, come in and get me, big boy. And I went, hey, yeah, yeah. It's like, yeah. It's like, okay, I'm not going to go that route again, you know. I'm like, uh, I'm going to be a little more cautious about sort of just street ministry like that and trying to cast out demons. There are certain things we're confronted with, and that's, that's what God's saying to Job. So, you're, you know, you're, you're, you're going to get in certain battles that next time you get in that battle, you're going to say, uh-uh, I'm checking out. I'm not, not me. I'm not in this fight, all right? And, that's not, and I'm not saying that's what God wants, but I'm saying that's the reality of the nature of our, of our existence. Sometimes we find ourselves confronted with things. We go, don't ever want to be confronted again. There's, there's pastors in this room who, you know, you might think, like, you know, I, I signed a two-year contract or whatever. Not that you probably ever do that, but it's like, I can't wait till my two years is up because I am not going to be in this battle again. I am not going, I'm not going to face these, these demons again. Not that the church is a demon, but, uh, <laughs> but, but the, the, you know, you are fighting against demons when it comes to not members of your church, maybe. <laughs> I don't know your church, but... But you know what I'm talking about, the powers and principalities and darkness. And so, so I love what God's saying here. Remember the battle you're in. You're not going to want to do it again. Uh, behold, uh, the hope of man is false. Uh, he is even laid low at the sight of him. No one is so fierce that he dares to stir him up. Who then is he who can stand before me? Wow. 
God's saying, this Leviathan of the deep, no one can battle with him. You can't put a fish hook in his mouth. You can't pierce his scales. His skin is too hard. His, his nature is unpenetrable. And no one who gets into battle with him will ever want to fight with him again. And then God says, who is him who can stand before me? Much more fierce than the behemoth. Much more fierce than the Leviathan. Uh, verse, he continues, though. Uh, who has first given to me that I should repay him? Who is under the whole heaven is mine. I will not keep silence concerning his limbs or the mighty strength or his goodly frame. Who can strip him of his outer garment? Who would come near him, near him with a, a bridle? Who can open up the doors of his face or around his teeth, his terror? His back is made of rows of shields shut up as closely as with a seal. Um, one is so near to another that no air can come between them. You get this picture? That this is like, if you've ever seen a, 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 maybe a turtle or an alligator and then their skin is so tough, you, you, like if you stabbed it with a knife, it wouldn't penetrate. That's what he's saying. This, the skin is so tense together. Uh, they are joined together with one another. They clasp each other that cannot be separated. His sneezing flashes forth light. His eyes are like the eyelids of the dawn. Out of his mouth goes flaming torches. Sparks of fire leap forth. It almost appears like he's... It almost appears like, uh, I don't think it is, but it almost appears mythological, doesn't it? Like a, this, this, if you were to read this as a child, you say, a fire-breathing dragon is, is what, it, you know, like uh, the Loch Ness Monster that had fire able to come out of its mouth. This is, a, this is a fierce monster that no one can tame. No one can put a fish hook in his mouth. Uh, verse 20, out of his nostrils come forth smoke, and from the boiling pot and from burning rushes, his breath kindles coals. A flame comes forth from his mouth. In his neck abides strength, and terror dances before him. The folds of his flesh stick together, firmly cast on him, and are immovable. His heart is as hard as stone, hard as the lower millstone. When he raises himself up, the mighty are afraid at the crashings, and at crashings uh, they are beside themselves. Though the sword reaches him, does not avail, nor the spear, nor the dart, nor the javelin. He counts iron as straw and bronze as rotten wood. The iron, um, the arrow cannot make him flee, for the sling of stones are turned into stubble. Clubs are counted as stubble. He laughs at the rattle of javelin. His underparts are like sharp potsheds. He spreads himself like threshing sledge of mire. He makes the deep boil like a pot. He makes the sea like a pot of ointment. Behind him he leaves a shining wake. One would think the deep to be white-haired. On the earth there is none like his, a creature without fear. He sees everything that is high. He is king over all the sons of pride. This to me is God speaking of the snake in the garden. When, when I say to you earlier this morning, there's always a snake in your garden, it's no small thing. This, this is what God is saying that snake is like. He's fierce. He's unrelenting. He's horrible. He's after you. He comes to kill, steal, and destroy. And we are engaged in a battle with the Leviathan. We, we are called to go into conflict. We are, we are called to be, have you ever seen, you've seen the, 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 the pictures of the little boy with a shield and a sword, and there's the fire-breathing dragon? That's who we are. We're the David with the Goliaths. We, we, are, we are called to fight things that no man would dare fight, and that others who have engaged in battle say, I remember that battle, and I will never go into it again. 
I'll never be engaged in that. But there's something different in you and I. There's a different calling on our life. And God has something unique for us. There's a German word that the English don't have for this. It's, it's called chaoskampf. Chaoskampf. Uh, I wish there was an English word that could describe this. But in the German, it means struggle against chaos. And they have, they have one word for it. And it contains what I'm trying to describe to you here this morning. Is that we are called into chaoskampf. We are called to battle, to struggle against chaos. We are called to be like God. We are the children of God. And God is a God who brings order out of disorder, order out of chaos. And he's calling us to engage in that, to get in the battle, to wake up and say there's a fight. There's a battle afoot. Let me get in there. Let me engage in a battle. Don't let me run from it. Don't let me hide from it. Don't let me be so wounded and defeated that I want to withdraw. Don't let me remember battles of old that I've lost and therefore no longer want to fight again. Put me in the fight. Put me in, coach. Let me in there. I think I can do something. Not in your own strength. We'll talk about that in just a moment, but in God's power. Now, there's not only a Leviathan and a behemoth. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 21, it says, God created great sea creatures. And some uh, scholars have said this is the Leviathan, the behemoth. He created them. And it says he created great sea creatures. And then he spoke to them, let them fill the seas. That's not good news for us. It's like if there was one, you know, Loch Ness monster or one Leviathan out there, and you were in a boat, that would be bad news. But if God said, let the sea be filled with them, what's that saying? It is a dangerous world. There's a lot to be contended with out there. You are not on, as I said earlier, on a cruise ship. You're on a battleship. There is, if you're not in it for the fight, then you've got to get out. You've got to step aside because what you've signed up for when you signed up for ministry is by its very nature a battle. It is a conflict. There is the, it's the conflict of bringing order to chaos, of bringing light to darkness, of bringing good to that which is evil, of changing the very environment, the fabric of the things around you. If you're in a gang-infested area, not only can a gang member be saved, but you can bring order to that whole neighborhood. You can bring a change to the environment. We're talking major conflict, major battle, major leviathan. And I believe there are whole communities, whole cities, whole neighborhoods that, that are left in its chaos, left in its disorder, left in its, in, in its place of broken down and abandoned simply because a man or woman of God didn't stand up and say, this is meant to be contended with. This is meant to be fought. This is not meant to be accepted and left alone as if the Leviathan uh, has free reign without having any contention to it. And so God is calling people to this struggle against chaos. When you sign up for this, it's not easy. It's not light. It's weighty. It's heavy. It's deep. It's a struggle. It is wrestling. But the Bible is filled with those analogies, isn't it? The words that we talk about, even the, even the ones that we talk about as being pleasant ones, are, are warfare mentality. Vic, the word victory means there's somebody to be conquered. Overcome means there's something to overcome. Triumph means there's a potential of defeat. And so you're in a battle. And if you don't know it, you're going to get beat up, and you're going to get surprised. And when you get surprised, you're going to want to give up. But if you're not surprised by it, you just go like, yeah, that's the Leviathan. And he's not easily hooked. And his skin is thick. And the sword does not penetrate easily. And I'm going to be here a long time. And so your neighborhood is not going to be changed overnight. 
You're not going to go out there and say, in the name of Jesus, I command you to come out. And every demon in that neighborhood just goes. You're not going to stand up on the, at the, you know, the highest um, church building in, in your neighborhood and just speak to the powers and principalities. And in five minutes, all of a sudden, you know, just every demon in hell leaves and every person comes and kneels at your church door and says, like, this neighborhood has now changed. Thank you for praying that one prayer. How many of you know it doesn't work that way, right? It is a, it is a generational battle. One that, with Teen Challenge, that my father started and is no longer here, and now generations later, others have picked it up. The same battle is still being fought. The same Leviathan is still has its scaly skin around it, and it doesn't want to be penetrated. It doesn't want to be defeated. It doesn't want that chaos of who it is and how it exists to be picked up, if you will, that, that piece of paper, that small thing. Start small. Pick up the pieces of paper in your neighborhood. Pick up the pieces of paper in your family. Pick up the pieces of paper in, in your prayer life. Pick up the pieces of paper and the things missing in your own heart and soul so that the battle gets bigger. As you get trained for warfare, the battle gets bigger and bigger. Your responsibility becomes greater and greater. The struggle against chaos, you're, you're, even though the seas are filled with chaotic things, and don't let your expectations be peaceful sailing. Let your expectations be, I am in warfare. And there, as I said just a moment ago, then when the warfare comes, you're not feeling like, did I do something wrong? Have I let God down? Now, look at Psalm 74, if you would, please. This is where it gets really good. Psalm 74 and verse 10. How long, O God, is the foe to scoff? Anybody in the room here feel like you have a foe scoffing at situations in your life? Like, why do they get to say that about me? Why, do they, why are those false accusations there? Why are my critics always against me? Why are my enemies always speaking evil against me? And how long, O oh Lord, how long? And anybody pray that prayer? How long, O oh Lord, how long is the photoscope? Is the enemy to revile your name forever? Why do you hold back your hand, your right hand? In other words, there's chaos all around. There's snakes in the garden. There's Leviathan that seem to be un, unable to be uh, uh, defeated. Why? How long, O oh Lord, and why do you withhold your hand? Why aren't you doing something about my neighborhood, about my church, about my situation, about my children, about my marriage, about my family, about my health? Why aren't you doing something, God? Why do you hold back your hand, your right hand, take it from the fold of your garment and destroy them? Isn't that a powerful a picture that, that uh, the psalmist is painting here? Like God's hands are like kind of folded. And he's crying out to him, take out your hand. Take out your strong hand. Do something. The, the snake's in the garden. The Leviathan's in the land. Take out your hand and do something with this. And this is the cry. And destroy them. Uh, yet God, my king, is from old, working salvation from the midst of the earth. All right, now listen to this in verse 13. You divided the sea by your might. You broke the heads of the sea monsters on the water. You crushed the heads of the Leviathan and gave him as food for the creatures of the wilderness. You split open the springs and the brooks. You dried up the ever-flowing streams. Yours is the day. Yours is the night. You have established the heavenly lights and the sun. You have fixed all the boundaries of the earth. You have made summer and winter. What is he speaking of here, the psalmist? Creation. He's speaking of the, the division of the light and the day, of creating the waters and the earth, the sun, the moon, and the stars. He's, he's speaking of creation, but he's using an analogy here, going back to Job. Job was written before Psalms. He's going back to the analogy of God speaking to Job, and he's, he's saying there, this, this battle that you spoke about with Job, in some sense, in some form, was you wrestling with creation. 
you taking that which was disorder, chaos, nothingness, darkness, and making it into something. You, uh, the, the chaos comp, the struggle with chaos. And he's saying here, that's what you did with the Leviathan, that, that the Leviathan was chaos. The Leviathan is the snake in the garden. The Leviathan is the, the five tribes that are left in the land for you to battle. And God, I love this story here, he, in, in creation, he was, he was defeating these powers. Now, that alone is interesting to me, but it goes one step further. In the Garden of Eden, there's two stories. Remember there's two different stories of creation. One is in the first chapter, and it talks about the seven-day creation. And then the, it retells the whole story in chapter 2 and 3, and it begins to maybe personalize it and limit it to a little bit more to the story about what was happening within the garden. And in there, in chapter 2, it, 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 it tells it a little bit different than chapter 1, and uh, it's the same story, and, it's, and, and they, 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 they mesh well, but there's, there's just some different particulars. And in the second story, he says that at the time, there, was, there were no bushes or shrubs or trees because the, the, the water had not gone out. To, it came up from the garden to plant. And so, the, so the, the picture that God is painting is really a strange one here in the second chapter of Genesis, and it seems to be painting a picture that the, in the, the, the trees and the, the flowering in the garden was all within the garden, but outside of the garden it had not yet uh, flourished yet. And so the call of God on Adam and Eve's life was going to be uh, to, to tend the garden, to spread the garden, to be fruitful and multiply. In other words, the picture that I get from Genesis chapter 2 is God is saying, I, I, I set you up internally. You have something good yourself. You're, you're living in a garden. You're living in a place of peace, but surrounding you is chaos and disorder. And I'm asking you to go and subdue, to multiply, to expand, to tend the garden, to go into those places that are yet to be developed. Go more. Get more. Accomplish more. Go further. Go deeper. Go broader. Go wider. Bring the garden to the rest of the earth. And so that, and when the fall of man comes, he, he empowers them, even though they're outside of the garden, he empowers them, equips them to be able to spread some of what the garden had in, in its light. Now, I say all that to simply say this. He crushes the head of the Leviathan. He's speaking of he crushes disorder. He crushes chaos. And then in Genesis chapter 2, he calls the call of God initially, the very core of who we are as the people of God, as children of God, is to take our lives that have been ordered by God and to go into places where there's disorder and chaos and begin to spread the light of the love of Jesus Christ, to spread the gospel, to spread the power, to spread the good news, to spread order, the divine order of God where there's chaos everywhere you go. I was speaking to a young man recently who began to, to describe his home situation, a wife who's probably the way he's describing it, bipolar and and it's just like, it looks like a, a, a no-win situation, but he wants to stay in there. And so I was encouraging him, you're in disorder. You are in chaos. You are living in a situation where at any moment things could explode without it being your fault. She could just start yelling and screaming at you and calling you every foul four-letter name in the book and, and just out of randomness. And so he's living in a situation of chaos. What's he to do? Get angry, retribution, escape, run, hide. What do you do in situations like that? I encouraged him to look at this. God brings order to chaos. And that his role is, he may not ever be able to change her. 
that she has free will, but he can bring order to his life. He can figure out how to respond to her in that situation. He can figure out how to, to pray over that situation. He can figure out how to minister best to the children. So he has an opportunity not to live in this situation feeling like the world is falling apart, chaos is ruling over him, he has no authority, no power. No, now he has a new vision. He can say, no matter what's coming at me, the chaotic situation around me, I have divine order within me. There's a garden within me. There might be snakes around me, but inside of me is a garden. And that's, I'm called to spread that. I'm called to bring that to places where it's not at this point. And so we are called to, to, to just as God our Father subdues chaos, you and I in this room are called to subdue chaos. That's our calling, just like our Father in, 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 from, from Genesis chapter 1, from the very creation story, this whole thing got started with God saying, there's darkness and abyss and disorder, and I'm going to speak things into it. And then he sends us out of the garden and says, wherever you go, you're going to bring garden with you. You're going to bring, there's going to be snakes. There's going to be difficulty. There's going to be pain. There's going to be suffering. But, but that's not the end of the story. The, the end of the story has something, some good news. That's why it's called the good news, Right? There's good news to this thing, and we are called to go out and to penetrate life and to make a difference in the world. And the gospel message of Jesus Christ, the, the power of prayer, the authority of preaching the word of God, the ability to intercede over a neighborhood, the ability to prayer walk a neighborhood and say, this is going to be God's territory. Where there's chaos, you are called to bring order. Every time a teen challenge center is set up in a neighborhood, it begins to change the very fabric of that neighborhood, at least if it's an effective one. It doesn't just help the 12 or 15 guys or gals in the program. It begins to penetrate that neighborhood. A church that's sitting is meant to be a city set upon a hill. It's not meant just to, to be a holy bless me club to the 100 people inside of it and saying, you're going to feel better. And when you leave on Sunday, you're meant to make an impact on that neighborhood. I believe that a man or woman of God does not run from the Leviathan. He looks for the Leviathan. Where are the sea monsters in my neighborhood? Where are the behemoths? Where are the giants? Where are the five tribes? Because if you're using them to train me for war, put me in the battle. Give me a sword. Give me a shield. Give me a, a sling and five stones. Get me up against the giants. It's not running. So many of us run from the battles. We don't want conflict in our life. We want to just be nice pastors. We want to just be, we want to be seen as the Mr. Robert Rogers of our neighborhood. And you are not, I love Mr. Rogers. He was a great man. And I'm not putting him down, but I'm saying that's not the mentality. You're meant to be seen more as a dragon slaying, fire fighting man or woman of God. You're meant to run to the battle, not from the battle. You're meant to find out through discernment, God, what is it that you're wanting to bring down? What is the chaos in my, in my sphere of influence that you're, bringing, you're allowing me to bring the divine order of God to? So you use your discernment, and you begin to label those things. What are these giants? What are these leviathan? And you begin not to fear them. And so, like, like, like you look at them and say, well, they're unpenetrable. They, they're, their skin is too fierce. I can't do anything about it. And you overcome that lack of faith. And you say, oh, God, no, you look at you said in Psalm 74, you said you crushed the heads of the Leviathan. And then you've given us power as well and authority to step on the heads of those demonic powers and those forces and bring a change to our environment. 
Is your marriage in chaos? You have within you an authority to bring order to that chaos. You don't have to. Now, I'm not saying the marriage is always going to work out, but I'm going to say you can bring the order of God to it to the best within your ability in your sphere and your circle. Your spouse may not respond to it and they may leave you. I'm not predicting that. I'm going to believe some, for something better than that. And, this, and the people in your churches that you're ministering to, you can't, please understand this, you can't promise them everything's going to work out. Because if so, then I, what would I have said to my friend who lost his daughter? What would I have said to the past people I've pastored over the years who have believed for their marriages and their spouse end up leaving them anyway? It doesn't always work out the way we want, but you can always bring order to chaos. You can always have a divine life. You can always have peace in the midst of the storm. You can always battle with it. So you can go into your neighborhood, and maybe the powers of darkness will continue to rail and rage against you, but there's going to be something you will release in that environment. There'll be something you'll bring forth that will bring a change to that. It will not be the same. It will be different because you have been in that situation. The snake is hostile. The Leviathan's hostile. And you're in a battle. But I want to say to you, as clearly as I possibly can, don't be afraid. Fear not, for I am with you. Fear not. Be of good courage. Don't be afraid. Do you remember what God said that? He said that so many times to, to Joshua and to, to those who, uh, to Gideon. Don't fear. Don't fear. It looks like you're overwhelmed. Like the song we were singing, this is how I fight my battle. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. And, and, and one can put 10,000 to flight, 1,000 to flight, and two to 10,000. We are meant to be in this together, and we're fighting a, a battle. But please know, and I'm, I'm going to stop now because we're going to go to lunch here, but please know, you have to understand this. The times in my life where I didn't expect to be in a fight, I was always floored by the fight. When, when, when I expected God to take away all my enemies, when I expected, when, when I would claim something and say that, uh, you know, you're not going to be there because I believe it, and they were still there, I always felt like either I'm doing something wrong or God's a liar. He's not telling the truth. But when I realized that, the, that, that there's a lot of sea monsters, and even if I defeat one, the battle's not over. Maybe that one battle is, but the fight's not over. The fight's not over. As long as we're on the face of the earth, there's going to be a fight. See, I turned, I told you earlier, I turned 60 this year, and I kind of thought, like, every decade I thought was the last decade of painful situations in my life. So when I thought, you know, when, like, when I was a teenager, and I finally, I graduate from school, finally, whew, wow, it's going to get, life's going to get easy. And then I met Kelly. And then, <laughs> and life, life got a lot easier. And... and <laughs> But I thought my 20s were going to be, I thought my 20s were going to be, like, it's going to be good finally. And, and we lost a child at childbirth. And I thought, oh, man, life is hard. And then I got to 30. I thought, good, you know, 30 is like I'm, I'm at my full strength. And it's like, and then, then I had difficulties in my 30. And now I'm 60. And I'm thinking, like, good, you know, all my kids are grown and out of the house. So things are going to really get easier, right? How many of you believed that one before? Like, it's like, they just, they just start having their own problems that, they're birth, they're, they birth them. They're called grandkids. And, 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 then, and then now you have, you know, instead of having four difficult things you have to deal with, I have six new ones. And so there's ten now. So 
And, and have, you ever been, have you ever been, some of you younger people don't know this, but, but check this out. If you, you guys are young over here, I see some young people. Um, if you're ever like sitting around a table at a restaurant with young people, check out what the conversation is. It's about what you're going to do. It's about your future and about your hopes and your dreams. Listen to the to people that are next to you that are older, and they'll tell you it's, it's a medical report. <laughs> you know? I, meet with, I meet with other couples like, hey, Matt, Dan, how you guys doing? Uh, I was just at the doctor yesterday, the rheumatisms, check, uh, have a bad knee, and man, I mean, these migraines are getting at me. So, well, yeah, how's that, how's the Lipitor doing? You know, I was like, is that helping bring the blood pressure down? You know, it's just like, uh, you know, 30 minutes later, you're still like, you're still talking, going through the list of ailments. Uh, I say all that to say, it doesn't always get easier. I, I don't know that there's an easy season, all right? And if you want easy, join a cult, you know? It's, because they, yeah, they'll just brainwash you, and you'll you know you'll sing kumbaya. And, but but if you if you want to make a difference in the world, you, you're gonna have to get in a fight. You're gonna have, you're gonna have to pick a fight. You're gonna have to say there's Leviathan there, and only God can crush its head. But I want to be part of that. I want to be part of that, and and choose the battle. Like which is it is it is it is it the war on drugs? Throw me in that battle. Is it is it? Lost people that don't know Jesus, give me that evangelistic spirit. Is it, is it the demonic powers that are ruining neighborhoods? Then give me, give me that gumption to get in there. Stand up and be a fight. Be like my son Elliot when he was a little boy. He was the youngest of my three sons. And uh, one day I saw them there outside playing uh, football. And he wanted to play and they weren't letting his two older brothers and their neighbors weren't letting him play. And every time he'd come up into the huddle, they would push him, literally knock him over. They'd push him. And I was going to get out there and, like, protect him. I thought, he's got to learn a little bit. So I was watching and letting him go for a little while. And I thought he, my son Elliot was so cool because he would fall over and they would do a play. And he would get up and he'd dust himself off. And he would say this. He goes, oh, yeah? And he'd come back to the huddle again. They'd push him over again and he would not dust himself. Oh, yeah? He would do that time and time again. I was so proud of Elliot. And I was so glad I didn't go in and rescue him right away because he was learning to fight. He was learning the metal that he was made of. He was learning to say, oh, yeah. And there are some Leviathans in your ministry. There are some Leviathans in your family. There are some Leviathans in your own heart and your own mind, uh, the way we think about ourselves. And we need to be able to say, oh, yeah, you're tough. You're, you have thick skin, but I know somebody that can crush your head and I'm going with him, and I'm coming after you, and I'm believing God to do miracles, and I'm believing for signs and wonders, and I'm believing for the supernatural, and I'm believing the strongholds will crumble, and I'm believing the powers of darkness will flee, and I'm believing that chaos will no longer have the ability to stand strong as it is, the way it is formed, the way it is entrenched, the way it seems to be able to stand in its, in its structure unchecked, un, uh, unhindered, it no longer will be able to stand. You in the middle of it all. So if you get weary, you don't give up. So if you get bloodied, you don't give up. So if you get discouraged, you don't give up. So if you get beat one time, you don't give up. So if they knock you down, you don't stay down. If, the, if they don't let you in the play, you don't stop. You'd wipe off and you say, oh yeah, here I am again. I'm still standing. I'm still pressing. I'm still fighting. Bloodied as I might be. Broken as I might be. Wounded as I might be. Uncertain sometimes as I might be. I am in this battle for good. I will not be taken out. I will not quit. I will not give up. I will not surrender. Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. 
If the Lord is the warrior, he is mighty in battle. He cannot be defeated. He cannot be destroyed. He cannot become against. There's no darkness in, in any pit of hell that can stand against him when he raises his fierce and angry voice, the Leviathan flee. That which cannot be penetrated by sword, hook, or spear. God comes with just a breath of his mouth and says, darkness, go, flee now in the name of Jesus. You no longer believe here, belong here. And all of a sudden, all of that chaos around you begins to get into divine order. All of that darkness begins to start shining like a light, and something new takes place. Why? Not just because of the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit has chosen not to do this alone. God has chosen from Genesis 1 not to get in this battle alone. He can defeat the Leviathan, but he's chosen not to do it alone. He's called you. He's called you. You are meant to be in that place. So if the battle is hard, don't expect it to be something else. That's the way it's meant to be because that's what warfare is like. And therefore, stand strong in the Lord. Be firm in the Lord. Stand, having done all, stand. So, Father, we just pray in the name of Jesus. Why don't you actually just do that? Stand with me, if you would, please. Uh, literally, if you can, uh, please stand. In the name of Jesus, we take a stand from our chairs to be able to say we're going to stand in this battle. And I pray for every wounded warrior in this room. I pray for every weary warrior in this room. I pray for everyone who's ready to, to say enough is enough. Or for everyone who feels like they're fighting alone. I pray for them right now that they are not in this battle alone. There's a Leviathan giant defeating God who's ahead of you. And he's with you and he's for you. And he's not left you alone. Even though people may not be surrounding you to help you, you are not alone in this battle. He is fighting on your behalf. The victory is yours. It may not look like it's there yet, but it's coming. Stay in the battle, and the victory is promised to be yours. We know the end of the story. And I pray for those who are discouraged today. I pray for those who are nearly ready to give up. I pray for those who feel like they, they, they don't have the strength to continue in the battle. I pray for those who have been fighting, 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 and not seeing victory. And God, they're saying, is there going to be? When will you take your hand out of your bosom? When will you take your hand out of the, your cloak and begin to, to penetrate? God, I thank you that that hand is on the move. There, there, there is a time coming because you don't send us into the battle defenseless or weaponless. You send us in there with the warfare that are not, the, war, wages, the, the weapons of warfare are not carnal. You put swords in our hands and shields in our hand and the full armor of God. Father, clothe your people once again with the full armor of God. And let them, uh, just let them look in the mirror and see not a defeated, ragtag, bent over, uh, near death old soldier. Let them look in the mirror and see uh, a new armor. And, and inside that armor, new, new bones, new skin, new blood new heart pumping stronger than ever before. Straighten the, 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 the weary now, those who are bent over. Just like some of you pastors know what it's like when you have people come into your office, their, their physical countenance, they're bent over, they're hunched over because they've been so defeated in life. And some pastors in this room, not physically, but maybe emotionally, you're hunched over. You're like, whew, I'm out. I'm, just, I'm, I'm about ready to tap out of this thing. And I pray in the name of Jesus right now, you straighten your shoulders you, you, you take a full gulp of the Holy Spirit air and you say, I am a man, of, a woman of God. I will not be defeated. I will not be conquered. I will not surrender to the enemy. I, I'm not giving up in the heat of the battle. It's too important. 
There's too much chaos in this world. I, I can't check out. I, I, I can't let people down. I can't let the kingdom down. There's a call on my life to, to accomplish the great things you have for me. And we just simply say yes, 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 and amen to the things that Jesus has for us. Be blessed. Be encouraged. Be built up. Be filled with faith. Be filled with vigor, vitality. Get a, get a oh, yeah, in your spirit again. Oh, yeah, I am not going to fall down and stay down. I'm getting up, and I'm getting in this battle. In Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, oh, yeah? Oh, yeah. All right, amen. God bless you all. Thank you.